Chuck Clark pull the old hurdle over Philip Rivers. That looked like you. They finished their careers and their golf game is terrible. <laughs> well, nothing can replace their careers. How many times have we walked away and said, wow, we'll never see something like that again. And then those same performers do it again and again and again. Welcome into the lounge. Coming off a nerve-wracking win a little bit. You know, the final score, 24-10, doesn't really tell the story of what my heart rate was like during that game. Never in doubt. Never in doubt. I got to say, the first half, I was not a happy camper. (laughs) Had it measured the whole way. Clearly in control. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we just wanted to let them get their confidence up with 55 yards of offense in the first half. Just let them start feeling cocky a little bit. Then then take them by surprise in the second half. Well, you know what it was. It, the Ravens were tired of people like you talking about how they never won a game when they were behind at halftime. Never yeah, won a game yeah. when they were trailing. And so <laughs> they were tired of hearing all that talk. And they said, you know what? We're going to prove Ryan Mink and the rest of the haters out there wrong. And they did that on Sunday. <laughs> that was really good to see. You know, and, and one thing that people said was like, oh, what? They were trailing by, what, three points at halftime, I think? Right. And, and so, no, by a point differential, it wasn't that much to overcome. But like I said, when you put up 55 yards of offense in the first half, like, it had to be a dramatic change. It, and so, for the Ravens to kind of shift into gear, uh, that really does, I think, speak to when when everything's going against them, not only on offense, but on defense. You know, you, you A, you have, you're without your best defensive player. I, I think I could say that. Yep. With Marlon Humphrey off the field. Maybe you your had, best two, really, with Clays Campbell going down. You know, Mar- Marcus Peters. Oh, juice that's man. Right, that's yeah, juice that's right. man might take offense to that. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, then you have Clays Campbell off the field. You had eight players you missed. A majority, the majority of practice all week. Uh, so, yeah, there's a lot going against the Ravens' defense, and for them to rise to the occasion, especially you know the Colts were moving the ball at first. Mm-hmm. Like if Mark, if Marcus Peters doesn't get that strip and Chuck Clark pull the old hurdle over Philip Rivers, that looked like you. Oh my God, that Philip Rivers <laughs> no, trying to yes, not. yes, that would absolutely be you. That's you in flag football, dude. I would just hurdle your butt. Oh, at that, first I thought I thought he stepped on him at first. The way that the way that Rivers like played dead after he got hurdled was the part that just killed me. I couldn't stop laughing. Yeah, the, oh. at first I thought he just he he, he went to make the tackle and then kind of got juked. No, he, he he juked himself. He just went down. Like there was no <laughs> juke. He just went down and threw his arms up. At first I thought when I saw Chuck try to leap over him, I was like, why are you going that way? Like you can just get tripped up at that point. Right. Right. That would have been like the alt you get brought down in that fashion would have been more embarrassing to Chuck, but that's true. Didn't happen. That that is just visions of you right there. No, no, no. I'm a natural athlete, baby. <laughs> so, all right, we, we want to break down uh, this game. Uh, give you our thoughts on on what what went right, what changed in the second half. Also, on the second half of this podcast. We have an interview with uh, Jim Gray that we're going to get into. He's got a new book out, longtime sports broadcaster. It's called Talking to Goats, where he uh, tells kind of his story uh, of life in the sports world and uh, his conversations with many of the best people that have ever played. So a really cool conversation with Jim. Uh, but uh, but before we do that, we do want to have a full conversation about uh, that game on Sunday. So I'll ask you this off the top. What in your mind changed after halftime? 
I think the Ravens offense just got in a rhythm. You know, I mean, it was kind of like, it almost reminded me a little bit of, of Joe. And maybe I'm just saying this because I just got done watching Joe on Monday Night Football, which was just, oh, it was such a treat. It was classic Joe. <laughs> uh, and, and good for him, man. He and Brashad Perry, but I was like, where was this five years ago, bro? It was kind of the twilight zone, I'll be honest, watching it and seeing those two touchdowns, big plays, 50-yard bomb, Perriman getting his feet in bounds, good body control. Um, that second touchdown throw right before the halftime was ridiculous. Oh, yeah. Joe, Joe was Joe was, on, Joe, he not was feeling it, man. He, he, he was feeling it. He was feeling it a little too much, and he got a little too greedy. He did the heat check late in the fourth quarter and got picked off, and then that basically turned the tide of the game. Uh, <laughs> but, but he was feeling it for, for three and a half quarters. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it, it, it kind of like reminded me of that in a way because it was like sometimes Joe would come out and he'd just be like, oh boy, he doesn't have it today. Yeah. He doesn't have it. And Lamar Jackson did not have it for the first half. And really it was bigger than Lamar. It's not fair to put the first half really all on Lamar because it was like the offensive line was just getting knocked back. The Ravens couldn't run the ball. You know, just the offense was just bad all the way around, to be honest. And then all of a sudden, you know, you, you pick up the pace a little bit. Like he gets that first completion on, on the first play of the second half. He gets it like he got like a 10 or 12 yard completion over the middle in which it, he just it was just a laser. And you're like, OK, all right. And then they go hurry up and he gets another completion, another. And you're like, all right. Like now he suddenly and it was kind of like what we talked about in the podcast last week. It's it might not take this like monumental, you know, shift. It, it could just be a snap of a finger. And, yeah. and suddenly things start clicking a little bit better. Now, I don't think all of a sudden the Ravens offense is going to be like it was last year. I don't think it's going to be like that at any point this year. There's issues there that aren't going to get fixed overnight. Like you can get a little bit better, let's say, on the offensive line. But the offensive line at no point this season, I don't think, is is going to measure up to last year's. Especially with Ronnie Stanley down on the field the rest of the year. Yeah. Right? So, like, the Ravens offense has some warts. And that's okay. Almost everyone except for the Chiefs offense around the NFL does. It's fine, you know, but like they can still get better. But like I thought that to, to be able to turn it on in that moment and, and heat up a little bit for a spurt, that's all you needed with the way the defense was playing. You just needed a spurt and, and they got it there in the third quarter in the beginning of the fourth. I think this offense could start humming. I, I you, you think up to last year's level? Well, I mean – Close to it, I think that they could. I think that the second half of that game could be the momentum builder, and they start rolling. I hope so. I mean, one thing that shouldn't be forgotten is that the Ravens just faced two of the best defenses in the NFL. Yeah, the let's Colts not... were the second best defense, and the Steelers were the best. Exactly. So let's let's not forget that, right? Let's look at the schedule ahead. It, it becomes from what I saw, Joe Flacco carving up the Patriots. Yep. I mean, it's still the Patriots. I'm not going to say. You know, I don't want to talk any smack on this podcast, but. Joe Flacco had himself a day for three yep. and a half quarters. The Titans defense has its issues. It's really struggled with pass rush. You know, then you have the Steelers, the Cowboys, Browns, the Ravens already shredded them. So Jags, Giants, Bengals. Anyway, I, I think that the past two games were going to be are the hardest two defenses that the Ravens are going to see all year. And and uh I'm I'm interested to see how they fare against defenses that aren't quite as stout. Yeah. And it's like when we compare it to last year, like which game? Like the Rams game? Well, no, probably not. Like necessarily going to be the Rams game, but I think that they could they could start humming and uh, play like they did for several games 
of last season. And there were games last year where the offense had tough outings. I just, I, I don't want to spend the whole conversation diving too deep into like the last year comparison. I just think that we all kind of remember everything that went right, which was a lot last year. But the Ravens did have some games that were a little bit more plotting. The Seahawks game changed on that Marcus Peters interception. Hey, the, right. the game, this game changed on a Marcus Peters interception. Had a very similar effect. Against the 49ers, that was terrible weather, but that's not like the offense was a, 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 some great performance from the offense in that game. The Bills last year, not by any means a great performance by the offense in that game. So I'm, I'm just saying, like, we all remember the Rams game. We all remember the Texans game. We remember a huge performance Jets. on Thursday Night Football against the Jets. But I, I just think that some of the comparisons are a little bit unfair. Anyway. Well, I mean, but you look at the stats. I mean. No, the set, it's different. It's different. It is, yeah. it's the, production, the production this year has not been the same. I'm just saying, when you ask, could they be at the level they were last year, I think that they, this second half – I think that they could start rolling pretty similar to what they did last year. I, th- I think they could have spurts. I think it's going to be hard to maintain the level that they had last year over a long period. You, you know what I thought was the big difference? And this was interesting because I'm one of the main people who says, run the ball, baby, run, run, run. What I thought really changed is they used the pass to set up the run in the second half. I went back and looked at it. On the opening drive of that second half, for the first five plays, yeah. passes, 58 yards down the field. Now you're in there at the 15-yard line. You're rolling with the pass. And then yeah. obviously that ended with a fumble by Gus Edwards, but the Ravens are sitting there knocking on the door to put up a touchdown. Next drive, you get the ball back after the Peters interception. Three of the first four plays called passes. You get a 20-yarder to Hollywood. You get a 12-yarder to Miles Boykin. Now you're down to the 15-yard line, and it's pounded in. They punched it in from there. Um, and then the next drive, they get it back. First two plays, Boykin, 11 yards. Boyle, 9 yards. So they used the pass to set up the run, march, pick up some chunk plays. Not huge chunk plays. Not 25, not 50 yarders. But they're picking up 11, 12, 15 yards, a 20 yarder mixed in there. Right. And now they're ro- rolling. Softens up the defense just enough. And then when you get down there at the 15 yard line, at the 5 yard line, Lamar can scramble around and get to the outside. You can pound it with the with the bus inside to pick up yards. And they did that. And yeah. that's an interesting like I'm number one, you know me. Run the ball, baby. Run, run, run. If, it, if you, and, I, uh, you and John Eisenberg, yeah, he's in a pod. Run the ball, you know. If if I'm like the Woody Hayes, three yards in a cloud of dust. That's that's my mentality. <laughs> but they used the pass, and that was I think a huge difference. Yeah, it was interesting because uh, Charles Davis, you know, who is the analyst for CBS, uh, he, he at coming out of halftime, you know, he was like, the Ravens are having. St- Trouble running to the edges. You know, the speed of the Colts defense is really making it hard for them. They have all these injuries on the offensive line. You know, I expect the Ravens to just come out and say, we're going mono a mono. We're going to run it down your throat straight at you. And, and you know, and try to instead of trying to run around you, we're going to just run straight at you. And then it's pass, 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 pass. Yep, yep. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I mean, it was interesting. I, I do agree with the notion that I do. I think that this – could have could be a turning point game for Lamar Jackson specifically. For him to heat up, throw in the ball, didn't miss a pass in the second half of that game, 10 for 10. He needed that. He really needed that. He needed to get hot a little bit. And so I, I do think that, you know, and especially seeing what I saw from the Patriots defense, now they could get Stephon Gilmore back on the field, which is the reigning defensive player of the year. That'll make a big difference. Um, but I do think, like, Lamar Jackson could have an, a day uh, up in New England. Well, he did last year against the Patriots. 
The Ravens win yeah. that game 37-20. to 20. And Obviously, yeah. that was a much better Patriots team. And the Ravens probably run away with that game if it's not for the uh, muffed punt that Cyrus Jones had in that game that kind of let the Patriots back into it when the Ravens were rolling yeah. early in that game. So, I, I, And even like, I don't know, I, I go back and forth on how much stock to put into this. But the just seemed, the body language seemed to be like he was enjoying it more in the second half of that game and post game. Hey, you're speaking my language. I've been saying it all year. I, I know, I know. You're you're like the body language uh, analyst expert over here. You, you <laughs> love nothing more than to talk about that. Um, but it just seemed like there was more enjoyment and and I don't know a burden, a little yeah. bit of a burden removed. It just seemed that way watching it, um, and that's why I feel like it could be a, a that jump start game for him in this offense. Well, I think it's for the whole team, it was such a huge win. I mean, given coming off a, a really frustrating loss against the Steelers in a game that you you should have won, you know? Yeah. And, and, and then you have the COVID situation, all these guys out. You have Ronnie Stanley go down to a season-ending injury. LJ Fort suddenly is, is ruled out because of a, a hand injury. Uh, you know, and then you go into this game and you start off so poorly, like, just coming back from that and rebounding the way they did again with all those factors working against them against a very good team against a five, what was a five and two Indianapolis Colts team led by Phillip rivers. And that defense was flying around. That is a statement win that I think we're going to look back on and say, yep. You know, if that one hadn't gone, if, if the Ravens hadn't rallied and won that game, this season could have gone in a very different direction. They would have been three games back in the AFC North. Yep. Yep. Like that would have been hard to to overcome. Now, two games back with the Steelers still on the schedule, it's still anybody's division. Yeah, and as we're seeing, the Steelers are certainly not indestructible. No. Um, Cowboys a, almost took them out. Yeah. For the third string quarterback. Took them out. Yep. Um they had that game and they couldn't finish a job. How many times have you been watching the Steelers game over the years and they should have lost and they don't? It's, I, it's I don't unbelievable. Even, I don't man. even get emotional about it anymore because it's <laughs> happened so many times that I've come to expect it. Like this is like you point. and the Browns. Like, yeah, I just, the Browns I are winning late in the game, and you're like, I'm not going to get excited about this. Yeah, like when everyone when the Browns are beating us late, and everyone's getting nervous, I'm like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> I worry. grew up. I grew up in Ohio. I've seen this story <laughs> before. All right, we're gonna take a quick break because Crown Royal wants to remind you to take a water break and moderate your drinking. Stay hydrated. Stay royal. Crown Royal. Canadian whiskey. All right, I want to get into a question here from a fan. As always, you guys can email us at the lounge at ravens.nfl.net. We love to hear your questions. Uh, so thank you for sending them. This one comes to us from Brian Kelleher. He said that the last episode was a hoot. He loved, he loved the shenanigans that we had. I don't know that we had more shenanigans than normal last week, but I, I do appreciate that. Well, it's definitely the Carson Palmer comment. Oh, uh, the Carson Palmer. I did see a lot. I did see a lot of tweets uh, and then maybe a couple emails about the Carson Palmer comment. Um, never going to live that one down. Um, all right. <laughs> By the way, I've got I've got some chickens right outside my window that are like pecking. If you hear a sound, my backyard chickens are just. I think they might be our most loyal listeners. Every time I record <laughs> this thing, those chickens are right at the window. That's ridiculous. Um. All right, Brian's question is much. I love to talk about your chickens after. <laughs> After time to really see us in action, he's convinced that the Hayden Hurst trade had a bigger negative impact than we thought. We lost his blocking, his ability to move when Lamar was out of the pocket. Um, what do you think about it? This is he was asking before the trade deadline: should we go try to get him? Um, which I actually was curious if, if that would happen if the if the Falcons became sellers. I, I didn't think that they would they would do that uh, because 
that just doesn't seem like a move that a team would make. They wouldn't trade for a guy that and then trade him back well, to the original they, team for but less. They, but they did fire their general manager. So I know, but I just it feel like been that's, him. I don't know. I, I don't know. That's a move that's ever happened. Probably not. And then two, I think that uh, you know Hayden wanted to change the scenery too. So I don't know if that would have been the best the best yeah. move anyway. But I, I do think uh, knowing everything we know, it was a good trade. Um, the Ravens got back Calais Campbell and J.K. Dobbins, right? That was you know the the breakdown basically there, and there was another pick that went. I'm thinking, I'm trying to think of what the exact pick was that we sent in addition to Hayden, a fifth round pick, third round pick, something like um, that. I'd have to go back and look at all the all the details because that was kind of a complicated one, three team deal, and you get Hayden, you get a second rounder back. Anyway, but I I think it still was a great trade for the Ravens to get that in return. I do also think that we see that Hayden was a really important piece of the offense and going from, they used three tight ends so much last year and now they're not. And I do think that that is part of the reason that the offense is struggling, that Hayden's a really good player playing downhill, run it down your throat football with three big tight ends who can also get out there in space and make tough catches was a matchup advantage for the Ravens that they no longer have without Hurst on the roster. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think the Ravens are feeling his loss. He was a good blocker too. I think that's something that he didn't get enough credit for. Like people just look at it, I think from a receiving perspective. Yeah. But Hayden, Hayden could block too. Now, Mark Andrews just made a statement with his blocking too. Seriously. On that n- nine yard Lamar touchdown run. Um, but I do think the Ravens are missing that. I, I though, I don't know how much of it is that versus, I, I think it's more other issues. Like I think, more, it's that opponents have studied the Ravens, had a full offseason, not a week, to study the Ravens' offense and what they're going to be doing. To me, that's a huge component. Like, the Ravens just took a lot of people by surprise, and it was an offense un- unlike any anybody had seen before. And so teams really had a week to prepare for it each time. And now they had four months, you know, sitting in their basements, can't go anywhere because of COVID. They're like, yeah, I'm going to flip on that Lamar tape from last year and try to break this down, you know? And so I think that in the way that the Ravens are just seeing different looks and opposing defenses are making things harder on Lamar is, has been a, a greater challenge. Now, with so much attention on Lamar, that would be relieved, I think, if some of his outside playmakers were making more plays, and that's not Hayden Hurst. You know, I mean, teams are kind of gumming up the middle of the, of the Ravens' offense in the middle of the field and forcing Lamar to make plays to the outside. So I don't know that Hayden's Hurst presence would really change that all that much. Yeah, I think the difference is is if you, it doesn't spread things out at all, but it gives you somebody that you can just run run people over with. And if if they, yeah, if, I think I, like I said, as a blocker, I think it, it almost might be, you might be missing him more as an, an extra blocker. Who of course you have to as a defense also respect his ability to go out and catch the ball. Yeah, yeah I mean, just look at his numbers. Not like he put up huge passing numbers by any extent. Um, so. I just think it's more the full package rather than like than than uh, one area of his game. I mean, look, the Ravens, the Ravens wanted to add a third tight end to this team. They brought in two undrafted rookies in, in Jacob Breland and Eli Wolf, and uh, neither of them were able to make the active roster because of injuries. Or you know, the Ravens didn't feel like Wolf could make the active roster. He dealt with a bunch of injuries in camp. Um, so they ultimately ended up with two f- true tight ends, and then and then Pat Ricard kind of fills in. Uh, as a tight end as well. So I think it's had an effect. I don't think if you go back in history and, and ask the Ravens, would you do it again? I think the answer is still yes, for sure. I mean, um, J.K. Dobbins, we haven't seen the best of J.K. Dobbins yet, and I already like what I've seen. 
Well, that's still to come. So let's just start. Yeah, let's just start right there. J.K. Yeah. Dobbins is going to be filthy. Yeah, that is that is absolutely still to come. Um, so you got to feel yeah. good about that. So talk to me in in, in a year or two. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think it, it it clearly was the right move. So, um. So I appreciate the question, but as always, you guys can email us at the lounge at ravens.nfl.net. So we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll be joined by Jim Gray. With every new season, there's new challenges to overcome, and Ram trucks are built to crush every single one of them. They're powerful, dependable. They're the back-to-back Motor Trend Truck of the Year. But beneath that hardened exterior, the Ram 1500 offers a standard of comfort with rear legroom designed for a comfortable lead. And the available rear auto-leveling air suspension found in the Ram 3500 is beyond smooth. So for big cash allowances and exceptional lease offers, go to Ram.com today. We are now joined by longtime sports journalist Jim Gray. Jim, thank you so much for your time today. We're excited to, to talk with you about your new book and, and get your perspective on the Ravens here. Garrett, great to talk to you. Ryan, appreciate it. Hope all's going well in Baltimore. Absolutely. So you got a new book out, Talking to Goats. So let's start with that. Um, talk to us about this book. And, uh, you know, you, you interviewed Tom Brady. He wrote the foreword. We'll forgive you for that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, but just uh, talk to us about this book and, and what's included in it. Well, not to give a plug, but Tom's got a Baltimore connection with Under Armour, right? Yeah, he does. He does. That's a huge, <laughs> that's a huge Maryland company and, and uh, a longtime association there. But I understand. Thank you for for forgiving me, but he's out of there now, right? You don't have to worry about that until the Super Bowl. Yeah, exactly. Hopefully, hopefully we'll take that. We'll take that. Exactly. We'll take that. Well, that would, that would be fun. That would be fun for all parties. Um, (laughs) The book has been, you know, I've been broadcasting since 1977. uh, So it's been a long time. And uh, I just kind of felt that, you know, there were a lot of these stories uh, that, that, that should go down on paper and, uh, so uh, it, it took uh, about three years with Greg Bishop, a great writer from Sports Illustrated who, who did a terrific job and was really uh, fantastic to work with. And he organized you know, tens of thousands of interviews and transcripts and tapes and uh, stories and, uh, and, and we put it all together. And you know, writing a book is very, very difficult. I mean, we all see these writers guys. Uh, you see Ryan and Garrett, you guys see these guys every week at the Ravens games. And, you know, covering Maryland and, and, and doing all this stuff. And then we read all their stuff all the time in the newspapers and the blogs, magazines, you know, on social media. And the effort that goes into all of it, you know, we kind of take for granted because we see the finished product. Uh, but then when you sit down and try and do this, and it, it's, it's, really, it's really an amazing process. So uh, I always had tremendous respect for, for the writers and what they do, but uh, this took it to a whole new level. Are, are there any Ravens goats that you talk to? Well, there's Baltimore goats in there, sure. Uh, Michael Phelps, <laughs> the greatest goat yeah. of all time in the Olympics. Uh, he's a Ravens fan. He's down on the sidelines. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully that counts. And, and of course, uh, uh, I got to. I was fortunate to cover Don Shula, uh, who had a lot of Baltimore roots uh, back in his Colts days, uh, before the Ravens uh, were in existence uh, uh, as the name of the franchise. And um, so there's there's a lot about Don and, and the chasing and seeking and the perfection that he obtained. Uh, there's a chapter uh, where Don Shula and Michael Phelps are together with Floyd Mayweather in perfection and how it has come to define their lives and, and how they went about it. Three totally different people who went about things in, in so many different directions. Uh, 
but the only similarity is that they all wanted to have that perfection. Floyd Mayweather, 50 and 0, and that O kind of defines who he is. Uh, Don Shula, who was the undefeated coach of the 72 Dolphins and, and you know, would pop champagne corks with, with his uh, players uh, when, when other teams could not duplicate that record that still stands. And, of course, Michael Phelps, uh, uh, who we all know so well, you know, was just trying to do anything he could by the blink of an eye or a fingernail to touch, touch the end of the pool first and, and how that uh, perfection uh, has come to define him. Yeah, is there anything, I'm curious, with, with these goats that, that kind of they all share in common that makes them the greatest of all time? You know, did you find that in those conversations? They're all really, really different. But if you had a common theme, it's that myopic tunnel vision uh, 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 th that, that they will not do anything other than try and stand on that top step of the victory platform to hold that trophy, to win that medal, uh, that they, that, you know, very, very rarely, uh, they don't have hobbies. Mm -hmm. uh, they, mm -hmm. they, have, they have basically, you know, two loves in their life. They, they basically love the people around them, their families, and they love what it is that they do, uh, whether it's, you know, Phelps in that pool and staring at a black line, which, you know, it can torment you, that perfection too. I mean, look at, look at, look at the life that Michael has led. And, you know, he has been so, so open about, uh, you know, some of the mental health issues. And, but just, just imagine what it takes to be submersed in water and just every day of your life, hours upon hours, staring at a black line, okay? Imagine what it takes to throw that football time and time and time again and get the mechanics right, get your feet right, um, and, and then have somebody to throw it to, uh, and, and then to work out and, and to just be so, so myopic that that, that that was, you know, what you wanted to define as your pursuit and goal in life and your existence. And so they all have that hard work and dedication and nothing else gets in the way. These guys don't have hobbies, mm -hmm. okay? There's, there's no <laughs> thing as a hobby. They finish their careers and their golf game is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> well, nothing can replace their careers, you know? <laughs> and and so, so we see that quite often. And unfortunately, you know, even when you're the greatest of all time, you know, that career ends. Unless you're a golfer. I mean, I, I imagine the Tiger Woods and Jack Nicholas can play on a senior tour and can go out and have <laughs> exhibitions and still show up at Augusta National and, and you know, play until at an advanced stage. But to, to, to compete on that level, uh, you know, it, father time, in most instances, uh, is undefeated. Mm -hmm. And so um, uh, that's, that's the tough part of it because, you know, they, they, they achieve this excellence and, and, and they become a goat. And, 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 and then that period of time, like everything else in life, moves on. And time doesn't stop for the great ones. I mean, you know. It, yeah. it, 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 it moves on for all of us in, in, in all aspects. But this has been, you know, writing this book with Greg and, 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 and you know, I've been fortunate to have a life of being able to talk to goats and yeah. to, <laughs> to, to, have been, to have been in their company and to have, you know, been able to see this firsthand and experience it. It's been, it's been great. And you guys, you guys have too with, with Phelps and, and you're seeing it now, you know, with, with the potential that, uh, you know, you're seeing with the Ravens. And they've won championships. And so, so you, you guys, you know, when you experience it and you see it, it's, it's enlightening, it's enthralling, 
It can be intoxicating, you know, because you just keep wanting to see it again and again and again, and, and, and we don't get enough of it. I mean, how many times have we walked away and said, wow, we'll never see something like that again. Mm -hmm. And then those same performers do it again and again and again. And I'll be sensitive with the audience here in Baltimore, but Brady says that in the foreword. It's not what you do in your 20s that defines you and makes you great. It's what you do over and over and over again that he really right. says is, is, is the difference. That's really cool. I mean, it's, I think you make a great point. Um, and I'm sure that you've experienced it in your career when uh, Ryan and I both been worked for the Ravens for a long time and um, had the chance to cover Ray Lewis and see him on a daily basis. Um, and certainly he was somebody who falls into this goat category as a hall of famer and somebody who, um, had the ability to kind of just this infectious personality that everyone could get behind and he could control an entire stadium with a dance, you know, um, there's not many people who have that ability. And so you, you, you see that we have had the ability to see it. And I think we're, we're seeing glimpses of that with Lamar Jackson. Obviously he's got to do it long-term. Um, right. But I'm just curious. Yeah, you're... Just like Jim was saying, I, I, I kind of like every week, I'm like excited to see what Lamar is going to do next. You know, that's what, when you were saying that Jim, I was like, yeah, that's, that's like, I feel like Lamar could hopefully we all hope be on that track, you know, but he's got to do it for a long time. I'm, I mean, even if you just watch tapes, I mean, you couldn't wait to see Michael Jordan play again. Mm -hmm. and Michael Jordan right. said it. Somebody's out there tonight who's never seen me before and probably yeah. will never see me again, at least in person. And so he was driven by that because he didn't want that guy and the tickets were much different back then. So the tickets were whatever they were, $25 or $50, you know, they weren't, they weren't where the prices are now, whatever that number was. He wanted that guy to go away and say, you know, not only did I get my money's worth, but I got a lifetime memory. And so, and so, you know, there, there's an expectation level that we have now of all of these guys, whether it was Tyson in the ring, you know, or whether it's LeBron now, you know, everybody thinks that, you know, Tiger Woods is going to win the Masters again and again and again mm -hmm. because that's what he's done with the 15 majors. So what you say about Lamar, you know, now applies to him. He's an MVP and it applies to Patrick Mahomes because he's won a Super Bowl and he's an MVP. Okay. Mm -hmm. So somebody out there is going to go see them, you know, not during COVID times, uh, but in normal times, somebody's going to go see them and they're never going to forget it. They're never going to forget it. So those guys have the personal fortitude and the internal equilibrium to know that and say, I'm not going to let those folks down, even mm -hmm. when it's an opponent, mm -hmm. even when it's an opponent, because all of these cities in the NFL or the NBA, they're not championship teams. So a lot of the fans go to see the opponent, right? To go see the other greatness. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's, 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 a, it's a really, it's a really interesting equation. Mm-hmm. What is your uh, perspective of the Ravens organization? You've you've covered and been around pretty much every team player uh, in the sports world in your career. What is your you know big picture look at at the Ravens organization and what they've been able to do in winning two championships in their time here in Baltimore? I think it starts at the top. You got a great owner, uh, a, a great steward of this franchise, and, and Steve Bashotti and and his family. Uh, they're great. Okay, and he allows the people that he hires to do their jobs and the people that he has hired and put in those jobs have excelled over the years. Okay. Go back and look at the championship seasons and, 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 and Ozzie Newsom 
and, and you look at the stability and what, you know, what John Harbaugh has bought. John Harbaugh has, you know, won a championship there and, and he's perennially, you know, has everybody prepared and he's diligent and he's dedicated. And, you know, he's been able to develop that framework of time and consistency in the NFL is very hard. And every year uh, the Ravens are right there. And so you just look at the lineage of who Art Modell uh, became partners with and sold the team to. And, and, and then you see, and, 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 and then when you have a franchise quarterback, I mean, uh, Joe Flacco was, was certainly terrific. Uh, and, and now Lamar has the chance to be that guy who, who, who has taken over and, and he can be there for a long time. You know, if he can, if he can avoid injury and any guy who runs the way he runs and, 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 you know, is so dazzling and, you know, there's always that fear, but if he can stay on his feet, and he is, he, he's got the perfect temperament, great disposition. And he seems to inspire all of those around him. Uh, and his arm is fantastic. So um, when, when you talk about the Ravens, I mean, when you have leadership at the coaching position, at the ownership, at the quarterback, I mean, you're set up long-term, okay? You're not, all of these teams, Al Davis said this to me, and I say it in the book, um, in, in talking to goats, Al Davis said something to me. Um, don't know if I use this quote or not. I, I, I might not have, but he said, it's a vicious struggle to be number one. One team wins and the other 31 are looking for answers. Hmm. Okay. It's very hard, very hard. Like Brady tells me every week on the radio, it's hard to win a game in the NFL. So when you look at the championships that the Ravens have won, you know how hard that is? Their teams, you know, struggling every year to try and make the playoffs, struggling every year to try and be competitive. So many of those franchises have never even been, never even whiffed the Super Bowl. So when I look at the Ravens, I look at the pursuit of excellence. And it's a constant pursuit. And they're not taking years off. No years off. Mm -hmm. They're trying to get there every year. And they're trying to be better tomorrow than they were yesterday. And that's hard in the NFL. And they're doing it. And, you know, they've done it with defense in the past and now they're explosive. So yeah, you, you want to give yourself a chance. And when you have what they have surrounded themselves with, they've got a great opportunity. So, you know, it's hard to sit here and predict that they can win or the chiefs can win or um, who knows with COVID changes every minute here, who right. knows with the injuries in the NFL and, and then the opponents are playing. I mean, Fran Tarkington said it many years ago. He said, you know, what happened out there today, Fran? You know, how, how come you, you know, he, he lost four Super Bowls. He said, you know, they pay the guys on defense too. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it's a, you know, it's a lot of components that go into this, but I, I think the present is really bright for the Ravens and the future is, is really, is really bright as well. I, I think kind of, kind of what you're saying is the Ravens are in a position and striving to always be a goat franchise. And, and I, I think that, you know, every team obviously wants to be that, but it's like, can you actually deliver on that? Like in every aspect of your franchise, business, you know, personnel, the way you treat your players, the way you compete, the way you study. I mean, it, like you're saying, I think there's a lot, a lot that goes into being a GOAT franchise. So who would you say are the GOAT franchises in the NFL? You'd have to say the Packers with their early Super Bowls and, and, and I mean, just the Patriots themselves. The Patriots uh, are, the, are the most recent dynasty. The Steelers over the years have always had that. Okay. So, yep. you know, the Cowboys have a great name and 
won those championships uh, back in the day. And then when, when Jerry Jones took over with Jimmy Johnson. So, you know, they're looked at as, as you know, America's team. And, 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 and so, and, and then you have teams like the Raiders and the Ravens, and, you know, they always have this following now, right? So you win more than one championship and you can sit there and, and be viewed as somebody who's got to be in the equation, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, who's the GOAT of all franchises? All right. In the 70s, it was Miami with the undefeated season. And then the Steelers came along. And before that, it was the Packers. And then the Raiders were the team of the decades when they won, played in all those Super Bowls in different decades and, and, and won. Uh, and, and, th and then it moved on to the Patriots, okay? And, and, and now the Ravens, you know, Ravens, hey, Ernie Els was unbelievable. Ernie Els was one of the greatest ball player, was one of the greatest golfers ever, but he played in the same era, unfortunately, as Tiger Woods, okay? Didn't diminish, didn't diminish how great Ernie Els was. He just didn't win quite as many championships. And now that era seems to be ending with the Patriots, right at the same time that the Ravens and the Chiefs have franchise quarterbacks who can really, you know, who are so young, are so dynamic and so, you know, already fantastic, you know, that, that they can make runs and, you know, um, their greatness is in their future. It's not in the rearview mirror. Mm -hmm. Hey, Jim, one question that I have, and this has nothing to do with the Ravens, but I got to ask you this because I grew up, I was born in Cleveland and grew up in Ohio, so you probably know where I'm going with this. Um, one of my all-time sports memories, and it was a terrible one, was the decision, the night of the decision. I, when I think about all my sports memories, I, that is up there with the ones that I remember where I was, how I felt. And you broke my heart, Jim. You broke, you, well, you didn't break my heart. You were there when LeBron broke my heart and I, as I was watching that. So, so looking back on that now, what do you think of the decision, and how often do you get asked by people like me who, who think of that sports moment because it really was an iconic sports moment i get asked about it quite a bit um and 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 it was heartbreaking for the fans in cleveland and in ohio and you know there could have been more sensitivity as i write in the book you know we could have been more sensitive to that in, in retrospect uh, but if you look at the decision today and and take away if you can if you can remove the heartbreak of, of what happened to the fans. Pain, in pain has healed some of those wounds. Well, or, you know, time time has healed some of those wounds. Not, not only time, but the championship that, that yes. LeBron came yes. back and won. So he, he kind of paid it in full. Yes. Um, if you just look at that at, at that moment and see where things are today, in many ways, in many ways, it was the birth of you know player empowerment in this era. Okay. Mm -hmm super teams being formed, um, doing it without the clubs in the league involvement, mm -hmm. taking control. It was, a, Kurt Flood is a revered history, is a, is a revered person in the history of free agency in, mm -hmm. in sports for what he did uh, in, in Major League Baseball, okay? So this moment, it also in many ways was, was the birth of not only player empowerment and, and taking things into their own hands and, and being able to determine self-determination, uh, it also social media. Uh, look at, look at what, what mushroomed and came out of all of that, okay? Uh, Twitter was, you know, hmm. now, now everybody communicates through Twitter. Uh, mm -hmm. The Players' Tribune and, and guys telling their own stories. 
uh, not necessarily through the filter of us in the media, but doing it themselves. And, 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 and just the burst of, of, of what this has become and, and, and what LeBron has become in finding his voice and, 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 and accentuating his, his, his play, not only on the court, but the social issues and, and the building of the school. And, and then up until this point this year, uh, the championship with the Lakers and, and all, of the, um, all of the things that uh, he was in the forefront of uh, in leading not only the NBA, but many folks around the nation uh, with social justice and, and unification and, and, and trying to rid discrimination. So if you look back at the decision, it's, 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 it's a seminal moment in the NBA. And David Stern no longer could control the outcome of what it was that he wanted for how things went in free agency with players. And that was a good thing. That was a great thing. Mm -hmm. Okay, Look at every year now. You can argue that the offseason in the NBA is as interesting and as much fun where a guy is going. I mean, we talk about for two years where Kevin Durant was going to go while he was <laughs> right. in a Warriors uniform. Okay? Right. All right. So that show, which was is still to this day the highest rated studio show in the history of ESPN. Mm -hmm. Okay. It attracted a tremendous audience. And we gave away millions and millions of dollars to the boys and girls clubs. So it had flaws. Some mistakes were made. We could have done better. And, and, I, and, and, I, and I talk about that in the book. But if you look at the long-term effect 10 years later, that program has aged. And, and, and what LeBron has become, the passage of time, I think reflects very highly on him and what he accomplished. Mm -hmm. So as heartbreaking as that was for the fans in Cleveland, and, and, and again, I'll say it again, there should have been more sensitivity and, and we, we could have handled that better. I could have handled that better. And ESPN could have handled that better. And, you know, and LeBron has addressed that. Well, like you said, well, there's your, there's your answer, Garrett. I know. Quit complaining, I, Quit complaining Garrett. I, for, I, I have long forgiven LeBron. I forgive you, Jim. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> well, what do you um, think of that assessment? Do you see it differently now than no, you saw I, then? Yeah. I mean, look, when it happened, certainly I was, I was uh, just a fan of the Cavs and of LeBron and was disappointed and mad and all those things. And so you're not looking at it from a, from a nuanced perspective. You're just, you're just ticked, you know? <laughs> and as a, and so, um, Ryan likes to pretend like I was burning LeBron's jersey. I was not. I was not one of the guys <laughs> out there burning the jersey. I will give you that. Um, and I agree. No, I, I think you, you, you summed it up really well when you said that that was really the beginning of the player empowerment era. Um, and we've seen that, and that's come to fruition. So um, I just had to ask that, you. That, that, that show and that moment changed everything. It did. NBA. It really and did. It reverberates to this day. You know, it's interesting. They're now doing shows on that show. <laughs> It is, I mean, like I said, it's a uh, it's an iconic moment for me, but also for the for sports fans in general. Um, and I think 
the things that we're talking about speak to that. So Jim, really, really appreciate the time. Listeners, you can get his book, Talking to Goats. It's a great look at uh, Jim's life, and, and there's a lot of great stories, uh, wisdom, and, and a perspective in that. So Jim, really appreciate your time. And listeners, make sure you go and uh, check out the book, Talking to Goats. Ravens fans, if you've been reading the scouting reports, you know that Ram Trucks are Motor Trend's back-to-back truck of the year. Ram 1500 is a top pick with an available Hemi V8 engine, e-torque hybrid technology, and a 12-inch touchscreen. Plus, it offers a truckload of available features. It's the same with the hardworking Ram 3500 Heavy Duty. For generous cash allowances and great lease offers, go to Ram.com and take advantage of all the great deals happening right now on a wide selection of Ram trucks. Well, really good stuff from Jim Gray. Uh, go out and get his book, Talking to Goats. I think it'll be a really good read. I'm looking forward to it. I didn't ask Jim for my freebie. You know, I'm all about the freebies. Well, I might I might have a couple freebies here sitting in, you know, you got to come into the office to get your freebie. Really? You might you might have to come. I might, you know, might be sitting I see, your you, desk. I see you looking around right now. You're it like, be, Do I have this freebie? It might be sitting at your desk right now. You don't know. You have to come in here and get it. Did anybody else send any beer for me that you have not <laughs> informed me of? Oh, I've been checking your mail every day. If there's anything good that comes in here, I check it, open it up. If it's something I want, <laughs> I take it. If I don't, I put it back in the ch- – just probably throw it away more than anything else. Wow. What, wow. Do, you, what do you think of Jim's Tampering. answer? To my, what do you think of Jim's answer to my decision question? I think you dropped the hammer on you. <laughs> I, I, I felt a little bad for you. He was like, hey, Garrett, shut up. It was good long term. <laughs> Like I said, time has healed the wound. And LeBron came back and won a championship, so it's all forgiven. <laughs> I but thought it was I, interesting, too. Uh, Jim Jim went on uh, Adam Schefter's podcast, you know, after he did ours, obviously. Yeah, obviously. T- took care of business first with us, yep. Exactly. He was like, ah, oh, Schefter, all right, I guess I'll go on his podcast. Yep. Um, and he said his first interview was with Muhammad Ali at 18 years old. That's, that's a, pretty cool. That's a pretty interesting place to start right there. That's pretty cool. What yeah. do you remember? Who your first interview was with, Garrett? Uh, I think it was with a high school baseball player. <laughs> okay, all right. Probably. I don't uh, know who, but I covered yeah. high school sports when I was in high school, so probably someone at the high school level. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. I I remember. I don't remember who my first interview was with, but I remember my first credential I ever got for a game. Uh, I go down, sit in my seat, look down at my little place card. I'm like, oh, this is a keeper, you know, memento for my career. What it's going to be, I at that point, I thought it was probably going to be a flop. Uh, look down, and my name is Ryan Zink. <laughs> <laughs> so I kept that one. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one to keep. Who was your first big-time interview? First big-time interview? I know yours. Um, Pete Rose? Yep. Yeah. Um, my first big-time interview. Man. I can't think of one. I... Was it when big maybe unit Gar- Randy Johnson Gar- almost fought you? <laughs> Randy Johnson almost did fight me in the <laughs> Yankees clubhouse. That's a true story. My 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 non-interview with George Steinbrenner when he let the elevator doors shut in my face. <laughs> um, oh, man. Too many good ones. Uh, <laughs> nothing's changed. Yeah, nothing's changed. Players still trying to fight you. <laughs> I, I, rem- I remember Gary Williams. This, here's a funny little Gary Williams story for you. Gary Williams, uh, you know, I went to University of Maryland, so I was covering the team and whatnot. And I remember there was something he didn't like that I wrote, so he called me to his office. And I go in there, and I'm like, I am really nervous. I mean, I'm like, this is Gary Williams. 
he's already probably sweating when I'm walking into the office. That's just how Gary Williams was. And he had a little bit of a temper. I don't know if you remember him on the, on the sidelines. <laughs> but <laughs> and so I, I walk in there, and I try to butter him up. I'm like, Gary, nice office, man. This is a really nice office. He goes, he grumbles, not half as big as Krzyzewski's. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, boy, we're off on the right foot. <laughs> So, that's good. I don't yeah. know if I heard that one before. That's good. That was a, that was a good one. Anyway, thanks for listening. Uh, as always, you can reach us at the lounge at ravens.nfl.net. And we'll be back with you after a big win in New England. Oh, I missed the clam chowder. Dang, I want that clam chowder. Mm. It's still going to be a big win, though. Big win. <laughs>